Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. Ohio State awfully impressive on a Saturday night down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And of course, we will discuss that. We'll have Bobby Carpenter of 97.1 The Fan and former Buckeye and Cowboys linebacker on a little bit later as well. But we start with um, Urban Meyer reinstated and back at Ohio State. I actually predicted on my radio show last week that he would uh, first do a pre-interview with either Tom Rinaldi or Kirk Herbstreet, Johnny. So I feel pretty good that I got that right. And yeah. that aired over the weekend. I thought that it would air in game day. Instead, it aired Sunday, which I thought was a little bit of a miss. They probably should have put that thing in game day, but they aired it Sunday instead. Um, before we get to his comments uh, in, a, in a press conference that lasted 58 minutes and had 36 questions today on a Monday, I will just say this. like The amount... He was done dirty by ESPN, not by Rinaldi, but by the ESPN producer of the Sunday Morning Sports Center to have. The, did you watch it live by chance? I didn't watch it live. OK, so I'm watching it live and they run a um, a, a bunch of sound bites, a package that kind of sets up how we got here. And the narration narration of how we got here is their talking head people saying, like, basically how bad of a guy he is. Right. OK, then they run the interview. And Urban doesn't, it's it's not a, he doesn't crush it. He comes off kind of uncertain, unsure, kind of like how he's been through most of this, right? And then yeah. coming out of it, they have the audacity to put Paul Feinbaum there. And I got to tell you, you can't have him there. He can't be the guy. <laughs> you can't have somebody whose opinion has already been made up on this on the set. You can't do it. I respect Feinbaum. He, he created a show and a genre and a niche that is unlike anything else in sports talk radio. And he's one of the real behemoths of that business. But to have that guy on that set coming out of that interview uh, was done dirty. And it's not Rinaldi. It's a producer back in Bristol, Connecticut, who did it. And it go, the way that they build these shows is um, when they run a piece like this, then they go to reaction to it. And they go to one of their, quote, experts to do it. And in this case, they used him. They could have used about anybody else, but they couldn't use him. Uh, there's a million people you could have got to, to give a reaction to that interview and it could not have been Paul Feinbaum, Johnny. It couldn't, um, what? he, he has already made his opinion of this set. He has ignored large portions of the facts of this case and has no interest in retelling them. And so he comes from a position of bias and they, I guess they did it again today when they ran the second part of the story. And I, I it just was really disingenuous. And I think it, I think there was a way to handle that interview. That interview just stood on its own, or if you want to have reaction to it, then you got to have. Don Van Natta or some Reese Davis, Chris Fowler, somebody who has not weighed in on this five hours a day for a month and a half. You can't have Feinbaum up there doing it. Well, what I mean, what does that say about ESPN and how they view the story in general? I mean, is this I don't just think it another has like to do with how they view the story uh, in general? I think what it has to do with is uh, they like having people who yell loud. Right. Well, that's what I. That's exactly what I mean, so, though, because to them, it's, it's like a specifically. Lurid- against Ohio State. It's just they knew Feinbaum would have a strong reaction and their entire medium right now is based on strong reactions. Like if it was right. if it was possible to have Stephen A. Smith, they would have had him. Yeah. And that's my problem because to them it's a lurid story that they're gonna okay, yes. well this is a big bombastic thing, so let's get the big bombastic guy on. And yeah. if if you really care about the core issues of this story, then put on somebody who has some kind of expertise or some kind of like thoughtful reason take on it don't put somebody on that just going to yell and you know basically say what two-thirds of the audience want to hear which is that you know Meyer's a skunk and this is all terrible and blah 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 this is a really nuanced and difficult story to talk about Paul Five is not the guy to talk about especially after that if you want to dissect 
you know, Urban's responses or whatever you want to do. I, you know, I give, I honestly, I give Urban Meyer a lot of props today for getting out there and talking for an hour in front of the press. That is a, that's a tough thing to do in general, but to be able to field those questions and not back down from that stuff, that's, I mean, again, I still think he made a lot of mistakes and I don't agree with the way a lot of this has been handled, but I have to give him a lot of credit for doing that. Today, he did what could have been done 20 some days ago when they first had their findings if they just oh, would have yeah. waited a day. They should have yeah. just waited a day and then he could have had this type of press conference and that, this wasn't that hard. He was great today. Um, he answered 56 minutes worth of questions. I think he answered 36 questions. Um, he was forthright. He was thorough. Um, I think if you're somebody who believed that he did this, I don't think that it's going to sway you, but I think if you're anybody who was interested in the nuance of the case and, and if you, if you were interested in knowing the truth, I think urban gave you the truth as he saw it. Um, and, and I, and I think that he was genuine in that. And I don't think he covered up domestic violence. Um, and I, I think that he kept a guy who he shouldn't have kept on his, he brought the guy here. Look, we don't need to rehash the whole thing, but he brought a guy here who he never should have brought here. And then he let him stay way too long. Um, when there were lots of reasons where he probably should have been fired and he didn't. And we know that we've been through it a bunch and urban knows that now too. Um, but I think one thing that's been a real injustice in this story has been, there've been a lot of people, Johnny, who just stopped at the original McMurphy reporting. And yeah. haven't looked to the other side and haven't wondered if there was more to it. And they're not interested in it because the original reporting fit a narrative and they ran with it and they're not interested in, in, in the nuance to it or the, I mean, something is simple. One thing that everybody's now hung up on is this idea of why didn't Shelly tell him about the text? I don't know that she didn't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I think if maybe the reason, maybe what Shelly's text message to Courtney was, was a way of calming her down. Maybe that's what it was. This was a couple they knew very well, and there was incredible uh, gray area here. Incredible, and so um, I think what you've got, what you got from Urban today, was was the truth as he saw it. I don't think there was some big. I saw a headline on Sports Illustrated. I was so disappointed to see it. It said uh, Urban Moore again. Urban Meyer sticks to his story, and I'm like, well, it's not his story. It's the truth as he knows it. Yeah, he's. <laughs> And that's why, you know, and when I said that he lied, I mean, I, I think that that I admitted that that was probably strong because Urban Meyer truly just that's how he sees everything around him. He's not he's not necessarily BSing when he says he wasn't necessarily thinking about it or he thought it was settled because he probably he probably had moved on. To me, that's the problem is that I think the issue here is the fact that Urban Meyer wanted to keep something in-house and decide um, you know, what the course of action should be when it really should have been out of his hands. And I think Ohio I, state enabled that. say that. Well, I just, I, you know, again, if something like this comes up, if you have an employee that is accused of this, however credible you think that is, it's not your call. It, it should not be his call. I think it should be the institution's call. And, and for a thousand different reasons. Yeah. And, but I don't think he did that. I think that he made it law enforcement's call. Well, and, that's true. But again, in terms of like overall punishment or whether somebody should be suspended or whatever kind of liability university had by not telling the university when Zach Smith was, was hired about 2009, 2009. Right. And that essentially, yeah, that essentially makes it his call on that. And I'm like, look, I don't think Zach Smith would have had anything that would have been flagged to prevent him from working at Ohio state because of what we know about, you know, what happened in 2009, but that's the point. It shouldn't have been Urban Meyer's decision to make. It should have been the university. Yeah, he's guilty of that. And he's guilty of allowing Zach Smith to stay on for as long as he did when he was, 
you know, there's a lot of behavior that probably could have uh, resulted yeah. in a fine, but or could have been resulted in firing. But we know why that, doesn't that is. Mean Meyer should have been fired, and it doesn't no. make him like the world's worst person or anything like no. that. No, and I think you know it. And now that this thing is over, and for me, it's over. Like now, that's between two people, and yeah. so I don't, I don't care about that anymore. Like I hope the kids somehow can have a normal life, and I hope the two people involved can have a normal life, or yeah. as close to it normal as they can. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't care about it. Um, but I, th- I think the from an Ohio State perspective, it's done now. And Urban has Urban was very forthright today in his converse in his in his press conference when he uh, I, I think it was so important to him to set to continue to reiterate that he did not cover up domestic violence and I think if you were somebody who followed the all of the reporting on this and all of the details on this I think that that's a logical conclusion to come up to some people don't want that and that's fine um, but I think I, I stand by what I said a week into this thing that it wasn't. It wasn't what Urban knew about 2015. It was about what else he knew. It was context. And he right. had more context than anybody else. And so the reason he didn't act or didn't do certain things is because he knows more than you do. And some of us in Columbus know more than some people listening do. And certainly more than most people on ESPN know. And, yeah. and so that's <laughs> that been is, a really frustrating part of this yeah. thing is because, um, you know, there's been a lot to this. It hasn't been as straightforward as people want to want to make it out to. But but I, it's it's done now. And and he'll coach against Tulane this weekend. In his stay, in his wake, Ryan Day crushed it. Oh yeah, crushed Incredible. it on the field and off. He crushed it. Uh, Ohio State played an exciting brand of football for three games. Day represented the university and the program uh, as for as as strongly as I think anybody could. And he has auditioned to be a big time head coach at a big time school next year. I mean that's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be a big job that comes open and he's going to get an interview. And I wouldn't be surprised if he get it, if he got it, his crowning achievement happened Saturday night in, in the Dallas uh, Metro area in Arlington, Jerry world where Ohio state faced adversity, Johnny. I mean, they're down 14 to 13 Texas Christians, a good team. I mean, the court, the Robinson kid at quarterback can flat out play uh, that. I think his name was the Anderson. The running back was lightning quick. Um, and again, Ohio state got gash for a big, Big yardage play, 93-yard touchdown run. Um, but TCU was better than I thought that they were were going to be. And they're up 14 to 13. Not only that, you got a Nick Bosa injury where he's done, and Draymond Jones has just the game of his life, and then Dwayne Haskins went, went nuts. And it was weird. Like, the calm that Day had was tangible to me. Um, and I think it permeated the roster. Yeah, the play calling, they didn't freak out. They didn't start calling just a bunch of bombs to try to get back into the game. Uh, Dwayne, I mean, they just, they played within themselves and they knew that they were getting yards. And again, this is, I, I don't know that's the best comparison in the world, but it reminded me of the Sugar Bowl against Alabama where it's like, okay, they're down, but they're still have success. They still are going to be able to play their game and, and score points. And that's exactly what happened. And they blew up in the third quarter and scored something. What was like 20 points in four minutes or something like that. Uh, you get some good defensive scores. And I mean, ultimately it was kind of a talent thing. And I don't know. I don't know that people are giving maybe Gary Patterson enough credit for what he was able to do. I mean, the guy had an incredible game plan, especially defensively against Ohio state and Ohio state was overcome it. And, and you said it, Ryan day did an incredible job at managing, managing the roster, managing the coaching. Uh, He's going to get a job somewhere big and he will 100% deserve it because the guy was lights out. He did everything perfectly well, managing the media, managing the personnel, managing all the coaching personalities, uh, I couldn't have asked for more for that. It was it was awesome. He did a great job. No, he was spectacular. And the you know the the tricky thing here, and this is the 
this is the thing that's going to be tough a little bit going forward is that um, I don't think Ryan Day is going to be here next year because he's going to be the head coach at someplace really, really big. It's he's going to get a good job. And sadly, I don't think Dwayne Haskins is going to be here next year. either. <laughs> yeah, um, I think he's done. Um, he's 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 legitimately great. He's not sort of great or good. He's legitimately great. He's he's the best pro prospect at Ohio State, probably since Arch Schleister as a quarterback. He has no holes. He's a big kid with a lightning quick release who is fearless with his throws, who will put the ball anywhere he wants in windows razor thin because he trusts his arm and his arm does not disappoint. And he puts him on the money. He stands in there. They blitzed him. And they, at one time they blitzed him coming right up the middle and he stood in there and waited and waited and waited. It was on a third down. He got his legs taken out from under him, but he stood in there and made the throw. And I've watched so much college football in the first three weeks of the season, one game after another, all three weekends. He's the best pro prospect in college football at the moment. 100% agree. And so he's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. And so it sucks for us because we're not not going to get him for more than one year. I cannot remember. I mean, even going back to like Joe Germain, I can't remember a guy that fit that prototypical Mm -hmm. NFL mold. Yeah. The way he, the way he plays his ability to make, it's not, I mean, again, he's going to have to deal with, all kinds of adversity throughout the season. And they're going to yeah, throw he's in bad games, but his ability to make the throws that people want to see in the NFL to me is completely unmatched. And even when Troy Smith was out there just slinging it and, and making every pass in the world, it wasn't like this. It wasn't, you know, five yards deep, 50 yards deep, whatever mm-hmm. on the money. Uh, he just has, you know, whatever intangible or tangible qualities you want in an NFL quarterback and I love that this is a pass-first team right now because it should be because They're the best joy. player on the field is the quarterback. And if not for like four Austin Mack drops, he has over seventy yeah. percent completion. Um, it, he's just lights out, and it, it it sucks. Like you said, it sucks that we only have one year of being able to watch this. But it yeah. will also be nice to see him in a uniform somewhere, throwing fifty passes a game for you know I don't know. The Bills. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully I mean, some not. team like that. There, there will be a team that needs a quarterback. That's he will. I, I mean, I've seen Will Greer. I've seen the kid at Missouri. I saw the kid at Oregon. Uh, I've watched all these kids play. None of them have his skill set. They don't. They no. not to this le- not to this level. The, his decisiveness, everything. I mean, he's just a total total prospect. And I I don't remember Schleister, but I mean, Art was a big time pro prospect too. And I think he was a top five pick in the draft. And um and he was he was a, a big big deal obviously uh but and this is not i'm not suggesting that Dwayne haskins is going to be a better college quarterback than troy smith or joe germain or uh you know countless others that have come through during that time or to say that he's going to be even he's, he's not going to have the overall statistical arch of, of braxton or jt he's not but he's only going to play one year and it's just as a pure nfl prospect we've never had a guy like this guy not in our lifetimes. I mean, if you if you remember Art, you can you can ask us anything and, and tell me great stories about Art Schleser before he became a crook. But I don't have a point of reference on that. I've got a point of reference on all the other guys. And yeah, there's I, nobody I mean, like this. Dude, what in his third game throws for over 340 yards? You know, pro- I mean, it's one thing to throw for 340 yards against you know, Oregon State or whatever, but this is a top not, 15 team. Yeah, that he's and it's not even the statistical stuff. That's not even telling the whole story. It's right. what you see with your eyes, and you right. just go. Holy hell. I mean, this is, this is different. It's different. And he's going to be, it's going to be him 
And Tua Tonga-Viola, after at the end of September, they're going to be leading the Heisman vote because he's going to go. He's going to go to Happy Valley, and I think he's going to play well. And he's right there now, and he's going to go to Happy Valley and play well. He's got a shot at it. He's got a real, real shot at it. Yeah, and he he would deserve it too because I mean, if you keep this up, then forget it. The the numbers you're going to have, the touchdowns, the, the fact that he takes care of the ball as well as he does to me is really great. I mean, he's not you know Rex Grossman out there that just bombing no. it. I mean, he's he's a very very intelligent football player, and I just it's it's a real joy to watch. I really enjoy yeah. it. The only thing that sucks about it because it's the most fun I've had watching Ohio State play offense. I mean, oh, truly, yeah. like it's just Years. a pure joy. It's unbelievable joy to watch them play offensive football right now. So, uh, and they'll get better as the season goes along. I mean, they will. And so, it's going to be fun. This is going to be a, this is a team that can win the national championship. It's going to be a fun year uh, watching them grow as it goes along and, and seeing what he turns into. And I I know I think the sky's the limit. I just think the sky's the limit. Um, up next, former Buckeye and current ninety seven point one, the fan host Bobby Carpenter will is set to join us, and then still to come, we'll do Ask Us Anything, and it's two lanes. There's not a whole lot to look forward to, but we'll we'll have some <laughs> little fun with with the Green Wave. Before we do that, though, I'd like to tell you about my bookie. Often asked, it's all the time, my opinion on who's going to win a certain game. It's an educated guess, sure, but not much more than that. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Now, remember. Your betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell folks to bet with my bookie. They are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. Join now. My bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code 11 to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie. And don't forget to use the promo code 11 when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. And with that, we welcome on one of my very, very good friends and a great friend of the program, Bobby Carpenter. He hosts, uh, along with my good buddy, A.R., Carpenter and Rothman on 97.1 The Fan. He was a great Buckeye, of course, Dallas Cowboy, Detroit Lion, among others. Bob, um, one, I'm, I, I'm curious, this is, your, this is your first time as a radio host really through the thick of a scandal. And one thing that is difficult in our job is uh especially those first few days i mean there's look the last month and a half is a lot the last couple of weeks have quieted down but for much of the month before that it was very difficult because um certain parts of this story people yelled loudest about and and that weren't necessarily accurate and you had more information than i did but i felt like i had a lot more than most and and so my take on it has always been to be pretty reserved. And I, I said this within the first week that it wasn't what Urban knew about 2015. It was about what Elsie knew. In other words, Urban had context. Now that we sit here a month and a half in, uh, and I think it's done from an Ohio State standpoint. I think it's done from an Urban Meyer standpoint. And I think luckily we're not going to have to deal with it, you know, anymore from a football or Urban perspective. What is your what was your experience like uh, covering this, talking about it daily for the amount of hours that you do? And and what is what was something that you've taken umbrage with from the way others have 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 covered it? Well, so from the beginning, as soon as people hear anything associated with domestic violence, it's a very serious issue. I think that sexual assault, crimes against human beings, like very very seriously. So you know, and, and it's a very it's a it's a passionate topic. It's going to elicit a lot of emotion. So whenever they someone gets into that, I, I always I always sit back and. I'm going to fact gather for as long as possible so I can determine with some form of reason myself as to what I think happened. And then I'm going to try to figure out, well, what do I think the people involved, what would they have really known in the present time, not through the prism of 
10 years later or three years later, five years later? Like, what would they have known in the present time? So as soon as you hear allegations of domestic violence, you know, the Brett McMurphy report, and he's doing the deal with Courtney Smith and interviewing her. Anytime you do a report, and Brett came on, and I was actually not on that day, he came on with AR, and uh, he's sitting there and they're asking him you know, about this and kind of how he went about it. He said Courtney Smith contacted him. All right, well, how did Courtney Smith, number one, know to contact you about this? Which is, was just kind of fishy to me that that's where the story would go. Like, mm. You know, she's gone to the police a number of times, and then you're going there. And I'm not saying that right or wrong or indifferent. Um, but then, like, the fact that he never really reached out to anybody on Ohio State or Urban Side, or, or urban side for comment. So for someone who's trying to get to the truth, like, it really just seemed like a one-sided deal from the beginning. It's like, all right, I'm going to try to figure out as much information as I can garner on this. And looking in there, yeah, there's some horrendous allegations. But there's some horrendous allegations kind of on both sides now. You know, the more you dig into it, the more you see what's going on. I mean, I think this is just a highly dysfunctional relationship. So when I'm looking at this and covering it, everybody just assumed that they know for a fact that Zach Smith abused his wife. Maybe he did. And maybe he didn't. I don't really know. But most people, when they talk about this, when they're ta- discussing Urban, you're talking about someone who's covering up abuse as if they know for a fact that abuse actually happened. And that's what, through this whole process, the prism that a lot of people have viewed this through. And so when they make their comments on it, they're going to view it from that. And why isn't Urban apologizing? We're assuming that he's a, should apologize to Courtney Smith because he didn't protect her enough. And I was talking to Ari, he's like, well, what would his question should have been? Well, what, did you, what was I supposed to protect her from? And if, if you really don't know what's happening, or if you don't, if maybe nothing didn't, maybe nothing happened at all. And so, not, and I'm not trying to sound cold and callous here, because if Zach Smith beat his wife, I'll be the first person to sit there and drag him into the courtroom, and I hope he does as much time in prison as possible. And if you want to, I'll take him into a back room and beat the hell out of him, because <laughs> I think that's what guys, if you're beating on someone that cannot defend themselves, that's what you deserve. And it, it really bothers me, but I, I don't, I don't know that that happened. I know it was a dysfunctional relationship. I think it, it was terrible from that standpoint. I, I feel awful that their kids had to go through this. There's been terrible things. I think Zach, you know, he's self-admitted. I mean, he's an awful husband. He's an awful husband to Courtney. I mean, does that imply that he beat her? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't make that jump with everything that I've heard. So, just going through this, and when Urban, I know he's been passionate about, you know, defending his reputation but to me you know what he did at his press conference on monday i think should have probably been done a little bit ago and that should have been the only thing that was done because you're never going to be able to convince people who are on the other side that you didn't do it and the people that already believe you they're going to ask why you're even getting into it and so that's where we are in this world now it's a hyper-partisan world and no one wants to believe any facts. They're going to take what fits their argument and then just use that. So the more you say sometimes, no matter how truthful it may be, people aren't just going to listen. Bob, I think the most frustrating thing, I'm not frustrating. For, I guess it, I just, I'm disappointed by this one part. And you and I have talked about this off air. Um, but I'm most disappointed that people could not separate the salacious toxic details of their marriage from what urban Meyer knew just because stuff came out has come out about the way that those two operated 
That doesn't mean that Urban knew it. He's a football coach for crying out loud. He's not, how would he, he doesn't know the details of everything that they do in their marriage. Now, he shouldn't have brought him here in 2009, right? And he admitted as much today. He shouldn't have kept him for as long as he did, as he admitted as much today. Probably should have never hired him in the first place. He did it out of loyalty to a, 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 a you know, God rest his soul, Earl Bruce and Earl Bruce's relationship that Urban had with him. And that's why it was. It's plain as day. That's what happened. Um, but there were too many people who couldn't separate the details from what Urban knew. And that's that to me has been very frustrating for a month and a half. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. And so you talk about maybe not bringing him here in 2009. Okay, you know, you look at Urban's first staff, you know, it was a pretty national staff. And so I've been trying to figure this out. Like, should he have actually hired him? What did it, what did it make sense at the time? So when he initially did the staff, you know, he had Fickle stayed on as D coordinator. He had Mike Rabel, two Buckeyes. And then you start looking around kind of, you know, everywhere else. You know, there was guys. And, you know, he brought in, uh, oh, goodness, defensive coordinator, um, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head now. Everett Somewhere Withers. Else. Everett Withers. He brings in Everett Withers. And so he eventually hires Kerry Combs to be the defensive backs. But before that, he had hired Bill Sheridan. And Bill Sheridan had bounced around. He was at Michigan State, Notre Dame. He was with the Giants for a while. Um, Dolphins, really good coach. So he gets hired to be a D-backs coach. Well, then Greg Schiano gets the, record, the Tampa Bay job. So he's only here for a month. So, like, you can't count Kerry Combs in that initial mix. You look at the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, with everybody that was here at that point. Uh, there really Tom wasn't, and Ed. Yeah, Tom, Ed. I mean, there really wasn't like Hinton. the, the – yeah, the, and Hinton had some Ohio ties, but you wanted a staff, you know, you got here, and especially the Ohio State that – and it's not hard to find guys. That's the thing. They have <laughs> – Right. You probably want half – yeah, you want half your staff to probably have Ohio ties. And, you know, so I, I, I don't necessarily – you know, disagree with it. Zach had gone to Temple. He was at Marshall. You know, he had done some coaching, position coaching other places where people thought, okay, he's done a pretty good job. And Urban referenced that. He had high marks there. And, you know, so he brought him in, and he probably thought that 2009 incident was probably in the rearview mirror. And maybe ask Zach about it, and Zach's like, yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're doing great. We've got, you know, one kid or two kids now, and, you know, and everything, everything's rolling along. So, all right, and you bring him in, and it's Earl Bruce's grandson. Okay, so that gets you the, that gets you in the interview. It gets maybe gets you the job, but if you're terrible, he's going to get you out. You know, so he brings him in. You know, in 20, uh, 2012 with that. It's okay. I, I get that. I guess my point at some point when there's all that smoke, like you just become too much of a headache to kind of yeah. deal with. Where I'm always dealing with things about you, and Parcells always had a line about that because he'd bring in guys and like you know, my mom always warned me. You know, you never don't don't hang out with a kid that's always around the trouble, but never seems to be in trouble. Like you only get so many of those. Right. You're a part. You're a party to it. Eventually, right. you're, you're a party. The, the trouble follows you. You're like pig pen with the with the the dirt. Like it may yeah. not necessarily be you, but you're involved. And so I think probably when he started to hear about that, 2014, 15, maybe you, you cut him loose. But after that, though, Bo, I mean, he, he, he outlined it all. Everything seemed to be on the up and up, and they had gotten yeah. their divorce, they're separated, and why would he think that this would be an issue moving forward since they're no longer together? Yeah, in 2015, when that when they get a divorce, he says, well, I don't have to deal with it anymore. It's done. Yeah, yeah, he was done with that. He never thought that. he'd ever have to hear about it again. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, for me, the biggest thing, Bobby, is that I look at this and I see a sports media that is, 
I think afraid of missing the next Larry Nasser story or gymnastics story or swimming and diving story. And I think the responsibility of the media is to make sure that that is reported on. They, they have to be able to, to be a watchdog for that. But by that same token, the way the information about all this was meted out in the most salacious way possible was just an incredible disservice to every single person who was involved. And I don't, I think, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, and I don't know how you feel about it, but, you know, the national media latched on to a specific part about this at the very beginning of this trickle of information and then didn't alter or change anything after that. And for us who are dealing it, you know, on a daily basis, and you guys obviously are on the radio every single day, I mean, that's that has to be frustrating <laughs> watching and having to have conversations with people who aren't basing it on every single thing that we're getting and just basing on maybe the initial flow of information that came out the very beginning. So I love that you bring that up, you know, the Nasser situation, because, you know, everybody wants to find like, and I say this once to like, I don't think people want to see these things happen, but for the people that are covering them, you know, it does help their, it does help their job. Like they're able to draw, garner more attention, more headlines, more clicks. And that's the society we live in. So they're looking for, you know, the next Sandusky where there's this deep-seated cover-up that's happened over, you know, two or three decades. And so they had some of that with Larry Nassar at Penn State. The problem is that's all isolated to the gymnastics team. So what do they do? Like, unfortunately for those girls, which is it's a tragedy, that's not enough because that wasn't enough attention. So then they dig into the football and basketball programs up there with Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo. And I know Mark very well. I have a great deal of respect for him, and I think I hold him in very high esteem. And I don't know Tom Izzo personally, but from everything that I've heard and everyone that I've talked to that knows him well, I, I feel that he's on that same plane. And so they drag them into it. Well, you know what? Then you hear, you see it just smashed out there for, you know, seven to ten days on national media. Well, here's the deal. The Attorney General for Michigan, someone brought this up. They tweeted me, oh, I mean, they're, this is Ohio State's just as bad as Michigan State. I'm like, I hope you're referring to Nasser and not the football and basketball programs because the attorney general for the state of Michigan, who you know you would think that has a duty and allegiance to the citizens of that state right. to protect their school, went through an entire investigation and came and found that there was that they did nothing improperly. And so I, I don't know what people want. They 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 drag all this stuff out there and they look at this, look at this, look at that and they want to sensationalize everything. And I feel like that's like what happened here where they grabbed onto the Zach Smith thing. Once you saw this, you formulate your opinion. And now it's bad to change your opinion because then you're a flip-flopper, even if new information presents itself. That's one of the things yeah. I'm always trying to say. Like, Based on what we know now, this is what I believe. And if something I find out tomorrow changes, well, then I'm going to probably change what I believe about this situation. I can't recall a time in this across any platform where we just refuse to admit we're wrong. We're just in a really tricky spot right now where like people just dig in. I think you bring up a great point. And I think this happened on this story where like that you there there was almost like just ignored any new information as it went along and didn't acknowledge that this was an evolving story. And so um, I, I thought Urban was great today. I thought he was forthright. I mean, I love that Ohio State let him talk for 58 minutes or whatever it was. I mean, it came on. He can't, got up there five minutes early. I mean, he cut, you know, we were 20 minutes still from the end of the show when he jumped in on us. And I know he went clear past, you know, 1230 for your guys' show, Bob. So, oh, I mean, yeah. he, he went, he answered everything. And so now it's done from that perspective. And 
Um, and I, I think it'll be in the rearview mirror. Last one I have for you on this part, and then I wanted to talk to you about Dwayne in a second. But um, do you think that this has changed Urban's relationship with Ohio State going forward? You know, I initially had I initially thought it did, and you know, kind of digging in and asking a lot of people who you know I knew that were in the room talking making these decisions. I do think there's a little bit of fracturing that was going on. Like those things don't leak out if they're not at least a little bit true. I think the vast majority of the board looked at this and said, okay, the Title IX office knew, the athletic department administration knew, the police knew, OSU and PAL, they're all looking into it. What else did you really want the coach to do? Was he supposed to then report that they all told him back to them? Like that doesn't make any sense. And so they kind of said, you know, he didn't handle it well. And his, you know, statements at the media, the Big Ten media days, like they grab onto that. I thought that it did. But I think Urban really does like coaching here. I think this was probably, you know, he talked about Notre Dame being his dream job. I mean, you're from the state of Ohio. Yeah. And I don't think you appreciate it when you're younger. But then, you know, playing here and understanding all the ties and everybody that's been through this state and how Ohio State is so intricately involved in your college athletics and especially college football with the history and just the coaching tree and playing and everything. I think that, you know, he wants this to be his last job. And I think he wants to be remembered, you know, in kind of the same light as Woody Hayes. And I think that, that this hurts him and he's trying to do everything he can to change it. But it, uh, I, I think he's going to fight until he can try to get it changed. And hopefully I think in his mind, if he wins enough, that this will eventually get pushed to the rearview mirror. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you were talking about, you know, wanting to be with the team and, and obviously getting wins. It's a lot easier to do that when you've got a guy like Dwayne Haskins slinging the ball around. And one of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier is that to us, he is probably the most NFL ready Ohio State quarterback that we've seen. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Do you think that dude can just step in and maybe he's been better, like he's better as a prospect than pretty much anybody else that Ohio State's run out there in the past 20, 30 years? 50 yeah, I would years. Say that- 50. Yeah, I'm ready to go back to Art Schleister, Bob. There you go. Yeah. You're probably looking – I didn't see Art, Art play, so I can't speak to him. You know, he, he throws a pretty ball, man, He and he sees the field pretty well. He still has some growth that mm-hmm. he can that needs to happen a little bit, and it's just because the guy started three games. Right. So <laughs> I keep going back to Bill Parcells because the guy coached a lot of guys, and he's coached – he did a lot of rebuilding projects, so he knows how to turn – you know, you know, spin strong to gold a little bit. But, you know, one of his things, like, let's not get out the anointing oil just yet. I, I think Dwayne's <laughs> very good, and I believe that everybody thinks he's really good. That's, he is good. But there still is going to be some seizing that needs to have happen. And people are talking about him leaving and being a top-ten pick. And I think that he could leave and be a top-ten pick. I just don't know if that would be the best situation for him. If you've looked at quarterbacks that have left after having only one year as a starter in college – they really haven't fared all that well in the NFL just because there's an experience factor that you need to have. So, well, I think he's the most NFL-ready from a guy that can see the field and make all the throws. I watched him last year in the spring through the summer. I mean, I, I tried to tell AR, I'm like, dude, this team's going to score 70. He can throw it like nobody's business, and the receivers <laughs> yeah. are playing well now. Like, I don't know what else I need to tell you. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm telling you, this guy is really good. But – there still is going to need to be some growth, but he showed it in the Michigan game. You know, he showed it, you know, at a point in time where they needed him to make some plays. And the defense helped out a lot against TCU, but, you know, he was poised in the pocket and delivering the ball accurately. 
you know, and his guys just got to make plays for him. He he's as good as you're going to find, I think, in college football right now. Yeah, that that's the reason I I said that is this isn't a great quarterback class. I mean, I I watched the kid at Oregon, Bob. I watched the kid at Missouri. Um, two is not draft eligible, and he's smaller than Dwayne. Um, mm-hmm. There's just I haven't seen Will Greer. He's I don't think Will Greer has has Dwayne's arm strength or his his quick release. I, I think it's he's the best. I I think he's like the best pro prospect. Like that, of, of course he's got a million ways to grow, but that doesn't stop the NFL from drafting you early. Um, because he's got all of the things the NFL drools over. He's got all of that stuff. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think he's, he would have to, obviously if he's a first round pick, he's got to go. I mean, I think he got to go. I mean, I think he could have kind of like a Cam Newton, like one year impact type thing. Um, I think we could be headed for that. And I think, I think he's gonna play well in happy Valley. And I think he's got a shot at the Heisman. I think he's the front runner by the time we're done with September. And you're probably right because he's going to have the numbers to put it up. And the one thing yeah. you talk about, you know, Tunga Vailoa down at, uh, Alabama, I mean, he gets beat up and he, you know, he's not that big, but he does, you know, he has had some injury issues and Dwayne's going to be healthy. He's going to have massive stats. He's going to play in some big time primetime games already having yeah. one that people saw him go out there and said, wow, like, this guy's really, really good. And uh, it's tough. If you're going to be a first round pick, I never say come back, but I think it's a little different with quarterbacks because you don't necessarily have that same injury risk you have in a lot of other positions, hopefully. And, and Dwayne's not – he can run, but they're not going to run him. So right. I don't think it's quite as extreme. I just think that he might be able to have better success. And, and maybe I'm wrong. But you talked about Cam. But there's a lot of guys you see leave if they have one good year, and then they don't end up developing as well. Because when you get to the NFL, man, they don't care about anything else. And you've got to get out there and you've got to play, and sometimes you're really not ready yet. And I'm not saying that that's the case with him, but – I would almost prefer, and this isn't me like wanting him to be at Ohio State. I would just want, I would say it's about any one year starter at quarterback. Like, I think you almost need two years to be able to establish yourself to understand everything that goes into being a starter and being a leader and the expectation that you have coming into that season to be able to handle some of the pressures of the NFL. There's no way that Cam's the anomaly. There's no doubt that Cam's the anomaly. Like everybody else, Kaiser, Sanchez, a million others. And and they're all still getting paid, but you're exactly right. He's he's Cam's, you know, he's something else entirely. Cam's Cam's like six five, two forty five. So right. he's got a people gun. don't understand how big he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Cam has elements of his game that few others do, and he's even struggled somehow. He's he's improved and he's been able to to take those steps, but it hasn't been without growing pains. And you know, people no, no, get on him. Right. Sometimes it's a little maturity and a leadership and an expectation thing where. Coming back in the next year, people are expecting you to be really good, and you have to deal with a loss or a game that you don't play well. Just go there and face the yeah. media, face your teammates, and improve and go on. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you one real quick thing before we get out of here. Speaking of growing pains, what is your take on the linebackers, particularly in pass defense, and in what is for them maybe the number one thing that they can work on to improve, especially before you get into like the meat of the Big Ten schedule? You know, and the linebackers are getting beat up you know, a lot about everything. I mean, they still have a really young group. Now, outside of Tough right. Orland, none of these guys really played a ton last year. And so they have a lot of guys that are talented, but they're playing linebackers a lot like quarterback. I mean, the more you see things, the better you get out of get at them. And that's why the experience factor is so important. So you can be a great athlete and a pretty good player, but you're going to see stuff in a game that you didn't practice. And if you started for three years, 
you look at it and you see it one time and you can relate to, hey, I saw this before. They ran this type of play action or they got in this formation and they were doing this because, you know what, I saw it as a sophomore. and It wasn't exactly like this, but it was similar. And these guys, the sad thing is they're, they're learning on the job. And when you have, you know, outside of tough, Tufts only started one year, and then this offseason, he's dealing with the Achilles and everything else. But it's like when you only have one guy that has a lot of experience of playing, you know, a ton of snaps, it's hard to have all of those guys learning together on the job because they have some guys that are really talented. You know, I think Pete Warner's got a, a huge ceiling, Malik Harrison. Baron Browning's made huge strides since he's been here. But it's just like looking at these guys and developing – to be able to get reads and, and the savvy for the game, it's something that it takes a little bit of time to get used to. And I think those guys this week, it was a great learning experience against TCU. You know, they learned a lot against Oregon State. Like they're painful. Sometimes they're painful lessons, but the painful lessons are the ones you remember the most. So Tulane will be a nice way to get them back, back on track. I think Penn State and Happy Valley, those guys are going to be ready to go. They'll be locked in. And they'll, it'll be a different type of offense than what they saw against TCU. I think that that'll benefit these guys because they're big, they're physical, and can run. They've got all the ingredients. They've got all the tools. That's all they need. And, and, and one quick thing before we get out of here, because I know you guys are about to, get, about to get me out of here, but I wanted to go back to Zach Smith's thing and one more, one more top point on this. Yeah. He's going through the criminal trespassing loss uh, defense that he's going to have to – uh, Gardner here in a couple of weeks, a couple maybe mm-hmm. a month, whenever I got pushed back to. And I'm curious because I think there's a lot of things that are going to come up in that case that, you know, some of the things may be negative to him, but I think a lot of that's out there. I think there's probably a lot of things that people will end up seeing that will reveal maybe a little bit more in detail of what was going on in their relationship. And I'm curious to see if anybody will take note of that. They won't, Bob. And, we'll, I, and that's the sad thing about it is there'll be no, things in the there. No, it's the die's you know been what? cast. I know. It has. And that's, and that's the sad thing about it. I'm not saying Zach's a great guy by any stretch. You know, he self-admitted was a bad husband. But I think there's going to be things in there that you're, people are going to look at and be like, wow, like, I don't – I know he's not the best husband, but, man, this relationship was just a mess. And I don't know if I could really believe anything that either one of them was saying about it. And that's kind of where I got to the point in this one. Heck, I'd heard so much. I'm like, if half of each side is true, this thing's a freaking volcano every night. So I have no idea what's yeah. happening. Yeah. The problem is, is that nobody care. No one's going to care about any of that. Um, you know, like, because Urban's separated from it now, you know. And yeah. so the only way that it would ever be anything that would that would come back up in terms of nationally people paying attention to it is if it was more salacious things, allegations of things that urban covered up that to your point from earlier from and what Johnny was saying, I mean, that you're looking for the next big thing. And if there's nothing in here, that's the next big thing. If it's just the details of a marriage of, of a, you know, a wide receivers coach and his wife, that that's nothing that's going to garner any attention at all during foot. Plus, I mean, it's going to be during football season. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just not a time for these type of stories to take off. So it's nothing that we'll have, you know, it's, I mean, it's done, you know, it's just well, done. Unfortunately. I, I guess unless there's maybe another Amazon order that they see that, you know, Zach has <laughs> well, then you could run with that. that yeah. You and, you and Johnny are into, and that's being delivered all over the, all over the state. That's what she said, Bob. Bob, that's what she said. <laughs> oh my God. All right, buddy. Good job on the, during the week, as you always do on the fan. I appreciate your time, my friend. Hey, thanks gentlemen. I love it. A quick reminder, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe.
subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, before we get to the three things for a Buckeye win over Tulane, uh, ask us anything, my friend. Do we have any this week? Yeah, let's let's do a little ask us anything. Just as a reminder, you guys can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. We've got, uh, you know what, we're going to stick with this one really pressing question. And I, I really, right. this is something I've thought about before and I'm, I'm kind of, okay. I don't want to forget about it. So okay. why does Penn State not wear white when they have their whiteouts? Uh, because Penn State's a traditionalist. And so they wear blue shirts and white hats and white pants and black shoes with no names on the back and nothing on the helmet. And that's dumb as hell. That's what they do. Wear the white. It would be. No, 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 no. No. The contrast of the blue jersey against the pure white background with the green grass is flawless. Yeah. If they were wearing white, it would just be, you know, no, I no, they need just. Penn State, don't listen to Johnny. Just do exactly what you're doing. You're doing it right. You're doing no, it right. No, because I hate, look, I hate it when teams don't go for the ultimate aesthetic matchup, right? Like, okay, well, especially in bowl games where one team is the home team and one team's the away team. Yeah. Wear the coolest uniform. Wear whatever you, whatever you think looks coolest, just wear it all the time. I don't care about the traditional stuff. I think it'd be sweet to see all white in Penn State, paint no. the field white with like blue lines. No. I don't care. You, I think it just couldn't players. be more wrong here. You can't be more. Penn State's not going to, they're not going to mock you with it. Like they are going to look the way they look. I love that about them in Alabama. Like they don't, no, we won't wear your nonsense. We're not wearing your camouflage or your black helmets. We're going to wear white hats. The end. I love that. (laughs) I guess I always would go with the rule of cool. Just go whatever looks the neat, you know, the the cool, sweet thing to do. And timeless, Johnny. Don't go cool. Go timeless. Well, that's, I mean, it's funny for me, you know, for a guy who himself is not particularly cool, as I'm reminded every day by my students, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's something that I try. I try maybe a little too hard sometimes, so I'll, I'll cop to that. Uh, but keep sending those questions in, especially, you know, we got a Tulane week coming up, so we need some interesting questions coming off of the uh, the green wave here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for three things for a Buckeye win against Tulane, uh, I'll do one, two, three right now. Show up, don't get hurt. Get ready for Penn State. Vanilla, <laughs> vanilla, vanilla. Yeah. One, two, three. I mean, like, I, I will say that I've always intrigued by by Tulane because of all the Grisham stuff that's based out of there. Oh, and I just yeah, think that's right. There were, I, a buddy of mine is a lawyer in Florida, and he went to Tulane, and he's kind of got like a McConaughey and a time to kill feel to him. And um, and I, it seems like a cool place to go to law school, right? Where'd you go to law yeah. school? Tulane? Oh, well, that had to be a good time. Um, but beyond that, I mean, they're a sacrificial lamb. So this, I, I have no interest. Like if you didn't have to watch this game, I don't, you know, what am I going to, I don't care. I mean, it's going to be over at half. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, like, I definitely want to see everyone get out of there, you know, with Being a healthy. clean sheet. I don't want anybody getting hurt. I don't want anybody, you know, tweaking an, tweaking an ankle, pulling away, any of that stuff. Just, just stay healthy, stay happy. I would also love it if relatively early, albeit uh, Dwayne Haskins could just go out there, throw 50 bombs and set the individual Ohio state single game passing record that I think that's something that is within his capability and maybe within the desire of Ohio state to do. So I would love to see something Not like this that. game. You want you him doing that. You want him to do that against, uh, you know, you want him to do that against Michigan state. You want well, him to do fact, that. You know, who, you know who currently owns that record, right? Passing yardage. Yeah. In a single game. 
Uh, is that Kenny G? No, that's uh, Kenny G has is tied big for game. the most touchdowns in a game. Oh, touchdowns! I knew he had like a weird single yardage game. Now, oh, who is who's who's number one? It's 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 old Art old Schle- Art Schleister. and Schleister I will has tell you, it. Say again. Schleister has it. What's the number? He has it, and he he said it uh, in a loss actually. Um, so that's I mean that's like my four seventy six or something. Yeah, somewhere around there. I think it was um I'm trying to figure out the yeah, it was uh it was four fifty eight against Florida State and a loss. So okay. yeah, I mean Dwayne you know, will get that this year. I yeah, I would hope so. I he'll mean he'll get would, it against Maryland or he'll get it against you can't do it against Tulane. Get it against a Big Ten team. He'll he'll throw for he'll throw for four seventy. I'll go with that. He'll throw that for four seventy against a Big Ten team before this is all said and done. Yeah, throw it fifty times, pass for a billion yards don't get hurt yeah. that's pretty much it i mean that, that's that's yeah, where it's i'm a at weird game man it's a really weird game like if urban wasn't coming back there would be no juice to it but because he's coming back there's a little but there's no juice to it i mean this do is you have pretty a, brutal i'm gonna ask you this do you have an attendance prediction oh boy i mean <laughs> maybe people if it's a nice day i don't know what what's our forecast like for saturday if it's a nice day if it's 80 and sunny you know you could you probably get 100 just because of urban you know, sure. and people have the tickets, but if it, if there's rain, I mean, they could be 90 again pretty easily. Saturday looks 73 and cloudy. So not, no, oh, rain. so it's a nice day then. So yeah, they'll probably get a hundred just because, and there'll be a lot of people who want to support herbs. So I think, I think that'll, I think that's how that could go. I think they're going to get a, uh, official capacity crowd. That's maybe a little bit less than official capacity. If that makes well, sense. Well, they'll be gone by half. Oh Yeah. Right. People stick around for script Ohio and the first five touchdowns and then they're out and they're gone. Yeah, that's right. Which is fair. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't blame them. Enjoy it. All right, buddy. Uh, We thank Bobby Carpenter for hopping on with us. And uh, next week is, I mean, it's the biggest game of the year. It's Penn state. (laughs) I mean, it it is the biggest game of the year and I can't wait to talk about it. And and we will do so next week right here on the dubcast. Yep. Absolutely. See you next week. All right, buddy. See you next week.